Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and the development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Today we're doing issue one of the Spectre ongoing series. Now it's the proper Spectre, the guy in the white and the green that you're all used to, not the the spiv that was bamming Johnny Quick up (laughs) the other week. Issue one of the Spectre. Now obviously we've done the few issues of Showcase that he appeared in, did Mm -hmm. that a few months ago. A bit of time has passed since the last one of those before the the first issue being published, and also he's, the Spectre has appeared in Brave and Bold alongside The Flash and will reappear in Brave and Bold alongside Batman very soon. But this is really significant. This is the first time that a revived Golden Age character has had or has been gifted an ongoing series. Yes, it's uh, strange. We've had the other tryouts, obviously, with you know, Starman and Black Canary and Our Man and Doctor Fate. But the Spectre is the one that seems to have caught the attention. Yeah. And DC are willing to give it a bash, I mean, as are we. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably worth saying, like, out of all the, the Golden Age revival guys who were brought back in the 60s up to the present day, the Spectre's probably the one that's endured and been mm-hmm. the most successful. Probably Doctor Fate is a close second. Yeah. Spectre gets this ongoing. He takes the, the cover feature in the Adventure Comics for a while in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Gets an ongoing series in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Gets another ongoing series in the early 90s, and yeah. then I've lost count of what's happened since, you know, because he... <laughs> and there's a the late 90s series. Yeah, because he's been to other people since, mm-hmm. you know, and yep. all that sort of stuff. It's interesting, just to take that into account, that he's, out of all of them, he's had the, the sort of longest sort of modern career, and I wonder what that is. What, why do you think it is? It's kind of unique, really, in DC Comics, certainly. He is a spirit of vengeance, so to speak. You know, he, he can be incredibly powerful or he can be incredibly weak, just depending on how he's written and whatever the story calls for. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating. There is a sort of through line, I think, through a lot of his, the ongoing sort of mm-hmm. features that he's had and stuff. You know, there's there also this kind of horror tinge. I think it's maybe just as simple as that. He's the, the ghostly guardian, and that's a, a perennial. Never quite successful enough to maintain an ongoing book to the same extent like The Flash or Green Lantern or Superman yeah. or Batman or whatever. But, you know, he's one of these ones that's come back and then never gone away. True. And it's good that we've got as far as we have already and we've reached the Spectre's ongoing book. It's very exciting. So, without any further ado, do you want to tell us about the cover? I certainly shall. Again, it's a, a lovely dark black cover, which I always love because it just makes the figures pop on it. Mm-hmm. We have the Spectre logo at the top, which uh, is a nice creepy red letters with yellow highlights with the Spectre peeking out from behind the S, which is mm-hmm. cool. And there's a caption that says, Now in his own magazine... And on it, we have the Spectre himself. He seems to be in a kind of a, in a bit of a whirlwind, really. And he's being attacked yes. by four historical figures, but they all have the same face. Mm. There seems to be a, a pirate-looking chap. There's a knight who's holding a mace. There's a kind of Roman centurion-looking guy with a spear. And there's another guy in kind of leather armour who's wearing gloves. It's got the spikes on it. Yes, he's punching very, at him. Very violent-looking accessorising going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all have the same face. There's a really thick moustache yes. and a furrowed, concentrated expression. Mm-hmm. This series was trailed enormously, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's an awful lot of full-page house adverts for it. Yep. For issue one, there's another comic that we'll be doing for the podcast that was published the same day as this issue of the Spectre, which has a full-page advert. So they really did hype it at the time. The response to the showcase issues must have been strong enough, and 
Mm -hmm. Must have been enough of a buzz. They thought, right, now we're going to go for it. There's still a bit more cover detail that I interrupted you and stopped you telling us about. <laughs> yes, at the bottom, just kind of like in between the spectre's foot and one of the guys attacking him, there's the title of the story, which says, The Sinister Lives of Captain Skull. Yeah. Sinister and Skull, written in a slightly different typeface to the rest yes, of it, uh -huh. to give them emphasis. Mm -hmm. So yes, issue one of the Spectre published on the 21st of September 1967, cover dated December 1967. Here we go. So, opening splash panel then, um, with a little tiny caption scroll tells us the story's by Gardner Fox and the art is by Murphy Anderson, so that's the same crew that were doing the showcase stories. Quite a simple image, dominated by a skull in the background, with the Spectre and text sort of arranged around the top of it, and the Spectre is on the right of the picture, bearing a cutlass, and he's squaring up to, the, as Pete said, the piratey looking guy who was on the cover. Blue coat, his hairs in a pleated little ponytail, frilly cuffs, boots. And we have a caption box below this that says, Fighting an 18th century pirate on a 20th century battleground proved troublesome enough, but fighting a pirate possessed of psychic power staggered even the mighty spectre. Unable even to touch the baleful buccaneer lest he lose his own astral life, the ghostly guardian searched through time and space for the urgent and ultimate weapon to subdue the, the sinister, sinister lives of Captain Skull. Tremendous. So, straight into the story. Top of page two, the caption for the first panel says, Framed in the gun sight of a rifle is a man whose life depends the peace of an entire world. It's a see what you see caption. It's a very nice little round panel showing a gentleman, very fancy looking morning suit with a little carnation. Mm -hmm. It looks like he's got a carnation in his buttonhole and a few people behind him. He's obviously leaving a building and he's dead centre in a set of crosshairs. Gasp. The caption name for the next panel. With a cheerful smile, with an encouraging wave of the hand, American Ambassador Joseph Clanton is leaving to fly to the World Treaty Meeting in Switzerland. Yeah, now we get a, a slightly wider shot. We can see him standing next to the, the open door of the car that's going to bear him away. And... We can see a crowd of people being held back by a sort of little barrier. Looks like there's a policeman beside him. To the left of the panel, it obviously looks like a bunch of young folks because they're all yelling out, Peace! 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 And then to the right of the panel, just behind Mr. Clanton, you see a man in a brown suit who's leaning in towards him and he's saying, Good luck in your venture, Mr. Ambassador. And then the caption for the next panel, Finger squeezes trigger and... And with a large blam sound effect, we get the close-up of the barrel of a gun being fired. The next panel, we see that Mr. Clanton is face down on the ground. One of the people around him says, he He's been shot! Someone else says, Without him to represent us, war is sure to break out! And a third voice says, He's the only man the other side will negotiate with. Blimey. Caption for the next panel. A tense world listens to the dread news. Yes, there's a nice montage here where we see Big Ben at the House of Parliament and then a photograph, it looks like, of the Eiffel Tower. Mm -hmm. Is that the Taj Mahal or is it Washington? That's um, Washington, yeah. And then what's the last one then? Uh, Red Square, I think. Is it? Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is obviously some nice shots of around the world and there's a nice little radio voice style speech bubble over the top of this that says, The war the world has feared may have already been triggered off this afternoon by a mysterious assailant who in turn was struck down by security guards. At this moment, Ambassador Clanton lies dying in Gateway City Hospital, for the bullet in his head is inoperable. Blimey, high stakes. Caption for the next panel. In Gateway City Hospital... 
We're obviously in a, a surgical preparation area. There's a couple of medical staff in the background already scrubbed up in the, in the foreground. We can see three doctors getting ready, left to right. There's a guy with a moustache, there's a very worried-looking one wearing glasses, and there's a baldy doctor who's about to put his mask on. The doctor with the moustache is saying, As you know, doctors, I've been experimenting with a new anaesthetic which may permit us to operate safely. It's never been fully tested. Then the doctor in the glasses says, We have no other choice. And then the bald doctor says, We must take the risk. Top of page three then, caption of the first panel. For three hours, Joseph Clanton hovers between life and death as the country's most brilliant surgeons ply scalpel and sutures until... Yep, you see the doctors now outside the surgical room, presumably, taking their masks and gloves off. Doctor with the glasses says, The operation is over. And Doctor Moustache says, All we can do now is hope. And the bald doctor concludes, And pray. Suddenly, the operating room door bursts open. And a man bursts through wearing what I'm guessing is his purple surgical smock. I don't know, he doesn't certainly doesn't seem to have any trousers on. It's quite alarming. He bursts through, shoving the doctors out of the way. One of the doctors goes flying and says, Huh? And then this man in the purple, and we should say as well that he's basically, we're guessing now, the guy that we saw on the cover, because we can see that he has this little pleat of hair at the back. Quite a fancy moustache he has, really. And this guy in the purple smock says, I stanker, you lubbers! I'm charting me course right through you all! And Dr. Moustache says, Who's he? And then Baldy Doctor says, How'd he get in here? With ferocious swings of his heavily muscled arms, he clears a path before him. Yep, we see him punching out a couple of other medical staff as he rampages through, and he says, Dash me timbers! I must be in Fiddler's Green! Everything's so changed! Avast, ye swabs, out of my way. I've got to haul in my lines and go about with the wind. He's a character, isn't he? Mm. The caption then for the next panel. After the mysterious giant races off down the hall. And we see Dr. Moustache is on his feet and he's looking back into the surgery room and the bed that they'd obviously been working on is now empty. And this causes Dr. Moustache to remark, The ambassador, what's happened to him? Hmm, interesting. Then we arrive at the bottom of page three. A little later, in another section of Gateway City, as Captain of Detectives Jim Corrigan drives <laughs> past a costume shop. <laughs> That's a caption that does a lot of lifting, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Yes, we see that the gentleman who we saw leaving the hospital is now wearing the blue coat and the frilly shirt and the pirate-style hat and the big voluminous purple trousers and the boots and carrying a cutlass that we saw in his splash page and cover appearance. He's heading it away from a storefront that has the legend costumes written on it and the man from the shop is yelling Stop! Thief! He robbed my store of those pirate clothes! And to the right of the panel, you can see the registration plate of this car is ADM429 mm -hmm. and... That's our Jim Corrigan, as the caption has told us. And Jim Corrigan is watching this and he thinks, Seems I've stumbled onto a sneak thief who, but wait! Over the page then, quickly to top of page four, close up of Jim in the car, and he thinks, He fits the APP bulletin of the mysterious character who rushed out of the operating room where Ambassador Clanton was operated on. Jim essentially narrates the next two panels, thinks what we see. Now he's stolen a pirate costume and is getting away in that car. And sure enough, between panels two and three, we see the man in the pirate costume jumping into a nice fancy orange motor and with a scree, zooming off, Jim gives chase in his police department vehicle. With siren screaming, Detective Corrigan pursues the careening getaway car. Tremendous. Yeah, we can see the red light flashing on top of Jim's car. Jim's leaning out the window, beating his gun, and he shouts, Halt! Or I'll fire! And then the guy in the other car who's chasing, the man in the pirate costume, says, There's a land crab after me stern! <laughs> bah! 
I'll drop them by freshening the way. Little asterisk there, which gives us another little footnote box that says, Nautical term for increasing speed. Wow. The next panel is very action-packed. You can see that Jim's car is roaring along behind the pirate man, and Jim is firing with a bam and shoots out one of the tyres, and he thinks, got his tyre. That'll bring him to a stop. Caption him for the next panel. But to the pop-eyed amazement of the police captain... And Jim thinks, very helpfully, the tyre reinflated itself, as if by magic. Yeah, because the car keeps going. Bottom page four, and it looks as though now that the guy in the pirate suit has turned off into a big long driveway. You can see a statue on top of a hill. Jim's car is still following behind, and Jim is thinking, I have a hunch that this case is going to prove too big for any ordinary human being to handle. The spectre sure picked a fine time to be off on a mission to one of those mystic realms of his. That's quite interesting, actually. We've talked about this before. We're so used mm. to them being a, a real defined joint entity, almost. Yes. This is uh-huh. the spectre's basically Jim's lodger, <laughs> in a way, you know, taking mm-hmm. great space, and, and that's that's interesting. So this final panel is rounded out with a tiny caption box saying, continued on the third page following. So we pass the letters page for the issue, which I think we read previously when we did one of the showcase issues. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and... We arrive then at the top of page five, and we have a very helpful caption box, topped and tailed by a close-up of Jim Corrigan and the head and face of the spectre. And the caption box says, Meet Jim Corrigan, who died long ago, yet whose earthbound spirit, the spectre, still roams the world, seeking out and eliminating evil in the name of good. Restored to life by the awesome powers granted the Spectre, Jim Corrigan carries on as a two-fisted fighting detective aided upon occasion by his astral alter ego. Tremendous. That's a good helpful caption because I suppose it's possible that this could be the first time someone has read the Spectre. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a number one. It's good yeah. to establish it, yeah. Send it all up. They might not read the showcases. They might mm-hmm. not be aware of the, the Golden Age history. Yes, and it's, it's a neat little summation of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So... Panel two, we can see that the man in the pirate outfit has stopped his car and he's getting out. Jim, the red light still flashing in his police car, is drawing up behind him. And Jim is thinking, he's stopping at that statue of Gateway City's Spanish-American war hero, Rough Rider Buckle Benjamin. Maybe I can still handle this on my own, but the way that tire inflated by itself convinces me I'm dealing with mystical forces here. The next panel, panel three, page five, we can see that the man in the pirate outfit, who I will be able to name shortly, is pulling at the fencing surrounding the statue of Buckle Benjamin. Jim Corrigan is rushing towards him, thinking, Gasp! What incredible strength! He's ripping those iron railings loose as if they were paper! But I've captured strong-armed guys before! With a zock! In panel four, Jim arrives behind the man in the pirate costume, punches him in the back of the head. man in the pirate costume turns around with a zwap, strikes Jim in the face, and says, Why, ye unmannerly swab! Race fist to Captain Skull, will ye? You're jarring my compass, so rigging your booms and be off with you. <laughs> so yes, this is Captain Skull, and that's what we'll call him for the duration. Did anyone else get the impression that Peter's enjoying playing Captain Skull? <laughs> it's not for me to say. So the final panel of this page has a caption that says, Even as he drops backward, the detective captain grips a brawny arm and... Yep, see Jim has pulled Captain Skull down on top of him, keeping a hold, and Jim is saying, You sound like somebody out of the past! So maybe you don't dig judo holes, like this stomach throw, for instance. And we see that Jim is bringing his foot up into Captain Skull's stomach as he rolls backwards, top of page six, and he flips the captain over his head. It's very familiar. This feels very much like one of Black Canary's Brave and the Bold fight scenes. <laughs> as Captain Skull goes flying, he says, Swallow anchor, you sea swabber. You've fallen foul of me now. 
You talk like a fugitive from a pirate movie. But I'll put a stop to your gab. Captain Skull lands in the next panel with a whomp. Jim thinks, that's not the wind out of. Now to clamp on the cuffs. In the next panel, well, some see-what-you-see dialogue from Jim as with a whoosh, Captain Skull leaps up into the air. Jim says, this is going too far. He's levitating straight up into the air. Like we just said, in the next panel, Captain Skull starts flying down towards Jim, who's making a run for it, and Captain Skull says, I've got the range, ye landsman. Now I'm coming aboard. If I had a deck under me boots, I'd keel haul ye, hang ye from the highest yardarm. Instead, I'll square yards with ye a different way. Yep, flies down, and with a zunk, Captain Skull collides both fists into the back of Jim's head. As we reach the top of page 7, we can see that Jim is out for the count with little stars <laughs> spinning around his head. The caption for the first panel of page 7 says, With every muscle quivering, the pirate rips the statue of the Rough Rider from its base. Yep, see what you see? Captain Skull is torn through the fence. He's standing on top of the base of the statue. standing plinth and he's underneath the statue, starting to lift it. And as he does this, he's saying, I'll crush ye, just like I would a mosquito off the Hispaniola shore. The next panel, he's lifting the statue above. We can see Jim down on the ground. Captain Skull lifting the, the massive statue of Buckle Benjamin on his horse. And the captain says, Farewell, ye lubber. Then the caption for the next panel. Suddenly, from out of the ground, alongside the fallen detective. Yeah, this is great. Literally coming right up out of the ground. It's what's obviously the hand of the spectre. Gasp. Big long white arm and a big green gloved hand. And then Captain Skull says, What's this? A ghostly hand catching the statue as I flung it. Yeah, because the spectre has caught the statue and bears it to the ground. Caption for the next panel. Next moment. And we see the spectre now fully formed, emerging from the ground in front of the captain. We can see Jim unconscious on the ground. Captain Skull, in close-up profile, says, Belay! Tom Pepper himself couldn't have thought of something like this. A little footnote here which tells us that Tom Pepper was a legendary sailor, a teller of tall tales. Interesting. And the spectre says, Who are you? What are you doing here in Gateway Park? Why did you attack Jim Corrigan? Top of page 8 now, and the spectre is now fully formed, standing with his hands on his hips as Captain Skull jumps down. And the spectre says, Answer me! Captain Skull will answer ye, ye shore loafer, with his boots! Caption for the next panel. The Astral Avenger quivers, enlarges his body to tenuous form. The spectre starts to grow. Captain Skull jumps towards him, saying, Here's where I cut off your jib and hello. And with a wish, we see that because the spectre's gone intangible, Captain Skull has basically just gone right through the spectre's cape. Captain Skull continues, What are you? A dredgie? The ghost of a drowned sailor? I am your nemesis. Whoever you are. Caption for the next panel. To the utter stupefaction of the ghostly guardian, even as the pirate hurtles through him. Yes, we see Captain Skull, now emerging from behind the spectre. He's going right through him, obviously, as the caption has said. And the spectre turns around, thinking, By the horns of Capricorn, I sense a strange force radiating out of this Captain Skull. A force of such eerie quality that it weakens my own spectral power. Sure enough, as Captain Skull emerges from behind the spectre, there's a bit of a golden glow around them. There's a bit of a golden glow to the whole proceedings. The spectre then gets a close-up in the next panel, and it's that wonderful conceit when we see the skulls in his eyes mm. instead of pupils. It's, it's really quite creepy. And in close-up, the spectre's thinking, I dare not let myself be touched by this puzzling pirate, lest his force destroy me. I've never come up against any such energy display as this. I must study it, find a way to counteract it. 
Maybe with spectral luck I can bash him into unconsciousness with this tree. And very helpfully the other spectre's describing the fact that he's pulling a tree up by its roots. That's terrible to, with which to try and chib the captain. Captain Scullin is now rushing towards the spectre, bearing his cutlass again, and he's yelling, Brace yourself to go down to Davy Jones's locker, me fine bucko, by this landing party of one. Top of page nine now, caption of the first panel. His cutlass twirling like the blades of a propeller, the bruising buccaneer hacks the tree to firewood. Yeah, this is an amazing panel. We just see the Captain Skull's right hand fizzing back and forth. It's almost like the spectre <laughs> feeds the tree into his blade. We see branches and twigs and sawdust flying everywhere. And the spectre is thinking. He ripped that hope to shreds. Obviously the spectre was thinking of the tree being enough to take him out. Where'd he come from? How'd he ever acquire those awesome energies? Captain Skull takes a swing for the spectre with his cutlass, but the spectre leaps out of the way, very daintily, mm-hmm. thinking, His blade's filled with the same energy as his body. If it so much as scratches me, I'm a gone ghost. But two can play this game of deadly duel. Caption him for the next panel. A spectral sword materializes in the gloved hand of the Astral Avenger, who turns a slash with cunning parry. Yeah, so we're basically now at the splash panel. As this is going on, the spectre's thinking... It won't do me any good to increase my size, for a mere pinprick would release that destructive force throughout my ectoplasmic being. A nice closer shot in the next panel, as we can see Captain Skull grinning as he makes another attempt to take out the spectre with the sword. Spectre again parries and thinks, To make matters worse, just as I can't let him touch me, so am I unable to touch him without destroying myself. Uh oh, captioning for the final panel, page 9. Abruptly and amazingly... And Captain Skull says, Avast, ye swab. I've wasted enough time with you. I'll fashion another cutlass to do my work for me. Yeah, and it looks like there's a little sort of bolt of lightning, or a couple of bolts of lightning, emerging from the tip of Captain Skull's sword, and another sword is appearing as a result. And indeed, the spectre thinks, He created an energy double of his sword, wielding it by remote control. Gosh. Tiny Caption says, Continued on a third page following. So we pass an advert for... An issue of Bomb by the Jungle Boy, an advert for some Batman posters. And then we're back into the story. Top of page 10, caption for the first panel says, Leaving the ghostly guardian to fight for his astral life, Captain Skull pushes aside the base of the statue. Yes, so in the front of the panel we can see the spectre dueling with this other sword that's floating in midair. It's quite (laughs) funny actually. There's a clack sound effect. And spectre is thinking, What's he up to? As indeed in the background of the panel, as the caption helpfully said, we can see Captain Skull is down at the bottom of the plinth of the base and is lifting it up. Caption name for the next panel says, With his bare hands acting like shovels, the baleful buccaneer digs into the ground. And that's what we see happening. We see a very committed and focused looking Captain Skull pulling at the soil with his bare hands and he's saying, Now we see my sea chest is still where I left it. And it's successful because he pulls up from the ground in the next panel a little chest that says Bonnie Venture. And Captain Skull remarks, Oh, ship shape. Nobody's laid finger to me money caskets. In the background, we can still see the spectre dueling with the other sword, and he's thinking, He dug up an old treasure chest. Can it be that this pirate lived before? That he's the reincarnation of a former buccaneer? That he's been transformed out of his time element? Next panel's amazing, because <laughs> we see <laughs> Captain Skull legging it <laughs> with his treasure chest on his shoulder. The spectre's still dueling with the other sword. As he watches the captain run off, the spectre thinks, I can't stop him from getting away. If I divert my attention from this energy-filled cutlass, it will demolish me. 
got to come up with some trick to evade it, overcome it. Captioned in for the final panel of page 10. Hurling his sword at the self-fighting cutlass, the ghostly guardian dives at the fallen statue of the Rough Rider. Yeah, it's a little confusing here because it looks, the way it's drawn, as if the spectre's actually emerging from the, the statue, but he's, I suppose he's dissolving himself into it. Mm -hmm. And he hurls his cutlass at the floating cutlass, you know, while he's doing this, and spectre's thinking, The pirate's sword is conditioned to fight me, but if it doesn't see me, it'll be unable to do so. Top of page 11, caption of the first panel. As the cutlass hangs helplessly in midair. Yes, this is impeccable work from Murphy Anderson here. But mm -hmm. You really do get the sense that that cutlass is confused and wondering yes. what's going on <laughs> as it just sort of floats there moving from side to side. Now, the statue of the, the man on the horse is kind of reared into life. This is really quite creepy. And the spectre has basically taken possession of this statue. We can see Buck Benjamin appears to be thinking, Materialise myself inside a statue without that enemy sword being aware of it. I'll activate this statue and use its sword to shadow the Corsair's cutlass. And sure enough, that's what happens. It almost looks so the, the statue of the horse sort of bucks up so that the statue of Buck Benjamin can swing his statue cutlass up and with a crack, breaks the phantom cutlass in half. Yay. Wow. The next panel then shows the spectre emerging from the statue, and he's thinking, Now there's nothing to stop me from tracking down that pirate. How to stop him is another problem. The caption name for the next panel, which takes up the full length of page 11. Though the ghostly guardian hunts far and wide. It's another classic image of the spectre looming up over the city. I wonder if he's visible. Yeah, that always bugs me. Because imagine seeing a giant spectre just standing yeah, above your city every now and then. Giant white man with a green cape. Mm -hmm. He looks tremendous. I mean, that, that panel would pass muster nowadays. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's great. Spectre's basically standing with his arms folded under his cape, looking out over the city and he's thinking, No sign of him. It's as if he vanished off the face of the earth. Might as well go back to my other self, Jim Corrigan, and match notes with him about this mysterious visitor to Gateway City. Over the page then to page 12. Moments afterward, when Jim Corrigan and the Wonder Wraith have exchanged stories... I'm going to call him the Wonder Wraith from now on. Of course. Legacy. <laughs> Spectre the Wonder Wraith. Team up with Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl, Wonder, Wonder Man. Yep. All that. Right, so this panel shows the Spectrum Jim in conversation. Spectrum profile Jim rubbing his chin. So the Spectre is saying, Ambassador Clanton, an untested anaesthetic? The sudden appearance of the pirate in the hospital? Odd. But I have the feeling that this puzzling pirate may well be the Ambassador himself. And Jim Corrigan responds by saying, I'm ready to believe anything, but how can you make sure? By visiting the Astro Dimensions where to be found the answers to many perplexing problems. So the caption then for the next panel says, And so in that mystic realm to which he alone can travel... Yeah, and this basically shows us the spectre standing on a little rock, surrounded by waves of orange and yellow energy with little blue bursts of energy all around him. They're almost like energy octopuses, almost, <laughs> if you want to try and imagine. Little balls with blue tendrils all emanating from them. There's about half a dozen of them all floating around the spectre, and one of them is saying, As you know, a spirit, a person's psychic self, may reappear in the body of a descendant as a reincarnation. And another energy octopus says, When that Anastasia was applied to Joseph Clanton, it released the psychic spirit of an ancestor, Captain Skull. Wrenched out of time, the pirate's psychic soul became inundated by megacyclic forces as it travelled to reach the ambassador's body. 
Displaced in time, roused to life where he lay latent within Joseph Clanton, the reincarnated spirit of Captain Skull had become so powerful it was able to transform the ambassador's features to that of Captain Skull's. It's worth pointing out that the little blue bursts of energy are using the Cap and mm. Skull abbreviation. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting that they're, they're not so formal yeah. with how they speak. A nice shot of the Spectre looking moody as he listens to them. And we arrive at the bottom of page 11 and the Spectre continues to stand as all the energy is waving and rushing around him. And one of the little blue dots is saying, Unfortunately, not even your spectral power can stop the megacyclic power possessed by Captain Skull. Yet, unless he is defeated, he will become a modern-day pirate and loot and steal without hope of anyone stopping him. And unless you exercise Captain Skull from Ambassador Clanton's body, war will erupt on Earth. It's quite useful that Spectre has these little blue bursts of energy guys to go and talk to. Yeah, that we've never seen before. I wonder if we'll see them again. I wonder. The astral dimensions, where to be found the answers to many perplexing problems. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's some kind of 1960s extra-dimensional Earth 2 equivalent of Google. Could be. Maybe it's the blue blobs of exposition. Yeah, that's where Wikipedia started. <laughs> yes, Quint. I don't know what I think about that, to be honest. I mean, he doesn't really tell Jim what the astral dimensions are. No. So I suppose we have to just surmise it's where these all-seeing, all-knowing people live and mm-hmm. know what's going on. It's quite a useful thing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the final panel then of page 12 has a caption that says, On this same night in the dusty archives of the Gateway City Library... This is an excellent panel. You can see Jim Corrigan sat with a little table lamp illuminating him as he's got a book in front of him and he's holding another book in his hands. And the shadow that's being cast behind them, it's not his own shadow, it's the shadow of the spectre. That's very, very effective. Mm-hmm. So Jim is saying, I found several references to a real Captain Skull who lived between 1710 and 1764, who robbed and looted in the ship Bonnie Venture in the Caribbean Sea and off the Carolina coast. And the shadow of the spectre looming in the background says... Listen to what I found out in the Astra Dimensions. So he's obviously going to bring his other self up to speed. Top of page 13 now. Change of scenery. Caption of the first panel. Next day on a special jet plane carrying a shipment of diamonds. We're inside the cockpit and we can see the pilot and the co-pilot. And they're looking outside and well, the first of the pilots says, Pete, am I seeing things? And Pilot Pete responds... Pilot Pete. A pirate at 50,000 feet! And sure enough, in the clouds outside, it's Captain Skull, who's waving his cutlass and saying... Strike your colours, you swabs! I'm about to scuttle you unless you obey his orders! We're outside the aeroplane for the next panel, and a voice from inside says... He's running towards us in empty air! And sure enough, (laughs) that's what's happening. Captain Skull's running through empty air towards the aeroplane... And he says, Stow the gab, you lubbers! <laughs> Bash my binnacles! If you don't do as I say, I'll carve me name on your ship's hull. Caption then for the next panel. Before Megacyclic Cutlass can touch airplane metal. Yeah, the spectres appeared out of nowhere. At first I thought he was holding two, two sides of a, a, a burger bun here. <laughs> it does look like that. Um, he's actually holding two big chunks of rock and he's bringing them in closely to try and snare the captain. Spectre is thinking... Maybe I can rock that pirate to sleep. Captain Skull turns around and sees him and says, Shiver me timbers! It's that dredgy I've fought before. 
Sheer off for a jam your compass. And then with a whap, the giant extended hands of the spectre trap Captain Skull between the two big chunks of rock. And it really does look as though he's um he's serving up at a barbecue. Yes. It's quite amusing. That panel will probably make it onto the socials mm-hmm. and will look very amusing, completely removed from context. <laughs> the final panel, page 13, and is a caption. But when the rocky weapons are separated... Yeah. Spectre's just taking his hands apart. We can see Captain Skull is unaffected. In fact, he's dented the insides of the rock. You could probably make a nice Captain Skull clay figure from the mould, I suppose, that he's created. Mm-hmm. Captain Skull delightedly says... Swoggle me eyes! You've got me climbing the rigging, mates! So it's firing a broadside, I am! Yes, we have a little asterisk at the end of climbing the rigging and a little caption box that explains helpfully Nautical term for losing one's temper. (laughs) Got me climbing the rigging! (laughs) Oh dear. Right then, over the page to page 14. Caption for the first panel says Out of the pirate sword erupts a volley of cannonballs. I'm so impressed by Captain Skull's abilities. This is really, really funny. Sure enough, he's gesturing with his sword and four cannonballs are speeding towards the spectre. Captain Skull declares, I'll bring your topsail clattering down about your ears. (laughs) And the spectre thinks, I can sense that those cannonballs are filled with deadly megalocyclic energy. They must not touch me. Sweeping his cape as would a matador to ward off a bull charge. Yes, and the spectre then very helpfully thinks what we see. I'll create a vast wind current with my cloak. Blow the cannonballs off to one side. Sure enough, the spectre pirouettes and the cannonballs go flying. In the next panel, he moves towards Captain Skull, thinking, And now I'll use my cloak to whip up a tremendous vortex of astral power. And as a sort of effect of a sort of rush of wind, the spectre moves towards the captain. The captain cries, Belay there! What's this or trick do you have in mind now, you swab? <laughs> So this chapter of the story then winds up with a tiny caption box that says Aye, what strange plan does the ghostly guardian have hidden up his spectral sleeve? Story continues in fourth page following. Yep, rest of the page is taken up with a nice little Caps Hobby Hints cartoon. Past the extra letters page, past an advert for Teen Beat. And then we resume with the story at the top of page 15. And things start getting a bit trippy now. Around and around, faster and faster, whips the spectral cloak, setting in flux the mystic energies of time and space. Yeah, we see the end of the spectral cloak here, twirling away, and there's a whole bunch of concentric circles of orange and red and yellow, and Camp Skull is basically sort of falling towards them, and he cries, I'm being pulled into the vortex! Yes, Captain Skull, into a maelstrom created by the explosion of spectral powers! Backward into time swirls the buccaneer, through days, months, years, accompanied by the ghostly guardian. Now we should point out that this sort of time vortex effect is very similar to what we saw when we've seen you know, Superman and Superboy time travelling, isn't it? Yes, uh-huh. except there's no dates casually hanging no, in the air to tell us when they are. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're on a different earth obviously, mm-hmm. but it's still it's nice to see a little bit of consistency. So this second panel of page 15 just shows the circles zooming out from each other. It looks like Captain Skull is falling down towards the centre. The spectre is following him. Captain Skull cries, I cannot escape this time tornado. It holds and grips me like a magnet. Yes, Captain Skull is now a Cornish farmer. (laughs) (laughs) The spectre replies, I need not touch you to force you back into your own era, Captain Skull. So the caption for panel three then says, until the flow of time snaps to a halt. Yeah, this is a nice panel. It's sort of we're on an idyllic beach, you know, golden sand and trees and big blue sky, a few clouds, deep blue sea. 
and we can see a big fancy old school galleon sailing ship moored in the water. There's also a little red and yellow pink orange vortex at the top of the panel which shows Captain Skull and the Spectre emerging into this part of time and the Spectre is saying We're in the year 1751 the very moment in time and space that you buried the treasure of your bonny venture in the sands of what is destined to be Gateway City. That's a bit of see what you see from the Spectre on the final panel of page 15 as he gestures towards Captain Skull. Now, with ripples from my cloak, I shall expel your evil spirit from the body of the man you usurped back into your real body and so end this noxious nightmare. He gestures towards Captain Skull and there's still residual orange and yellow energy waving around him. Captain Skull says, Belay all this. It's high time I threw out my anchor to windward. Protect myself. Top of page 16, the first caption for the first panel says, With lightning speed, the transmigrated spirit of Captain Skull bursts free of its fleshly bonds, glowing with megacyclic energy which fuels the Time Funnel. The Time Funnel was a short-lived series by Urban Allen, which followed on from Lost in Space. It got as far as the preparatory scripts for the pilot before someone suggested that Tunnel might be more effective, ah. at least being alliterative. None of that was true. <laughs> anyway, so it's... Could it's be a, true, you don't know. It's quite a, an interesting panel set up for this page because the normal grid system, it's sort of like it's been rotated on the axis of the circle, isn't it? It's almost like, yep. you know, not quite the Dutch tilt that, that we've mentioned before, but it's sort of... Playing maybe, with the formats. Well, maybe put this page in a social so you can see what we mean. It's definitely going to be hard to try and crop out in these individual panels. But the first panel, we have a looming close-up of the Spectre's face in front of him, it's basically it's the body of the ambassador still wearing the clothes of Captain Skull. But Captain Skull's spirit, looking very 70s it must be said, yes. is sort of emerging from the body of the ambassador. And very helpfully, as the Spectre observes this, he thinks, He has abandoned the body of the ambassador. Without Skull's spirit inside it, Joseph Clanton's inert body is changing back to its original shape and form. Sure enough, then as a caption for the next panel. Once more, the whirlpool of years begins to rotate. Yep, it's back to the, the spinning orange, purple, yellow and pink circles. At the front of the panel, we can see Captain Skull's spirit looking very, very ghostly indeed. Trying to leg it, I suppose, from the Spectre. <laughs> the Spectre is giving pursuit and the Spectre says, By accelerating his megacyclic energy, he's causing the time vortex to whirl faster, tugging us both farther back in time. Aye, Swab, if you'd marooned me in my own time period, I'd have lost all these stupendous powers I now possess. Okay, so this next tilted panel has a caption that says, As the megalocyclic energies slacken, the spirit being of the pirate darts out. This is great, because the, the concentric circles are now basically appearing in mid-air. Very effective. We can see Captain Skull falling out, Spectre emerging behind him. Down below, there's a, a man on a sort of horse-drawn cart with a pile of hay behind him, being drawn along in a cart. And as he emerges, Captain Skull says, I lived here centuries ago when I was the robber baron, Sir Guy the Cruel. The Spectre follows, he's thinking, What does he hope to accomplish in this time era? Then we get a helpful caption for the next panel. Sir Guy the Cruel and his band have laid siege to the castle of Lady Aline. Yes. This reminds me of those episodes of the Time Tunnel when Tony and Doug would fall out of their big time vortex thing in the sky and be mm -hmm. thrown straight into some stock footage. Yes. It looks like we've arrived in some stock footage. We can see a castle <laughs> being laid siege to by knights in armour who are on horseback and they're carrying spears and we can see big catapults sort of firing off. As Captain Skull flies down towards them, he's thinking, I shall enter into me ancestral body, take control over it. Retaining all my megalocyclic powers, I'll make myself the richest, most powerful man of this age. 
So as we arrive at the top of page 17, um, we get a very helpful CBC caption that tells us what's going on. Swiftly, the features of the robber baron change into the facial structure of the time-displaced Captain Skull. This is a great panel. We essentially see the transformation of a, you know, I don't know he's just a guy, um, <laughs> shifting and changing so that the moustache becomes more prominent, the eyebrows change, the lines on his face change. And as all this is going on, he's thinking, With my newfound abilities, I can roam back and forth across time, become the conqueror of the ages. Wow, that's epic. So there's an interesting panel structure to the rest of this page. There's one panel of the knights in armour with the castle in front of them. And it's sort of interrupted by a circular panel in the middle. So this first panel, we see Sir Guy gesturing towards the castle and he yells, Fire your arrows at yonder castle. And one of the soldiers who's with him replies, But, Sir Guy, not even our catapults could damage its foam walls. And another soldier says, What good can mere arrows do? And then in this big inset panel in the middle, Sir Guy, with his visor down and his sword in front of him, swings his sword at his army saying, Ye foul swab! Do as I order ye. One of the soldiers cries, A changed man he be. And a second soldier says, Best do as he says. Caption in for the next panel. Then, as the shafts are loosed. Yes, and we're inside the grounds of the castle now. We can see the arrows flying towards the people inside. And we see Lady Aline, presumably, in her yellow dress and yellow pointy hat. And she exclaims, Aye, those arrows go through solid stone walls. So that's what Sir Guy had in mind. One of the soldiers that's with her says, Sir Guy must have hired a witch to work spells for him. And another soldier says, Perhaps we had better surrender. In the caption for the final panel of page 17, The Astral Avenger has been a fascinated but helpless witness to what has taken place. Yeah, we see Sir Guy on the back of his horse and the spectre's head looming almost in the clouds behind him. It's very effective. Mm. Spectre's thinking, Filled his ears with mega-psychic energy. I still dare not make personal contact with him. Yet I must not let him pillage here. Top of page 18 now. The spectre gets a close-up with the whirling circles behind him. And the spectre continues to think, How odd that in two of his previous existences as Captain Skull and as the robber baron Sir Guy, such a good man as Joseph Clanton had been evildoers. In his own time, world peace depends on our ambassador. I must not fail the people who count on him. Below him, the war sword of Sir Guy lifts to denote the charge. Yep, sure enough, Sir Guy raises his sword into the air and cries, Forward! Spectre hovers above behind, thinking, This may be the only chance I'll get to surprise him. So, then the caption for the next panel, A ray of brilliant sunlight is reflected off the surface of the metallic blade. Yep, and as Sir Guy yells, Charge! We see the face of the spectre appearing in this ray of sunlight. The caption for the next panel says, Next instant, that sunbeam strikes downward, momentarily blinding the armed mercenary behind Sir Guy. Yeah, sure enough, because there's another guy in armour behind Sir Guy, and we see the spectre riding this little deflected sunbeam that's deflected off Sir Guy's sword, and the spectre's riding this sunbeam into, basically, the slit in the, the helmet that this other soldier is wearing. As he raises this little beam of sunlight, the spectre's thinking, Concealed in his sunbeam as I am, not even Captain Skull can suspect my presence. Caption in for the final panel of page 18 says, Thus, as the mailed and armoured might of the robber baron thunders behind him in the charge, one of his warriors is the spectre. Yeah, you can see the soldier that's riding along behind Sir Guy. Sir Guy at the front with his sword and his shield. The soldier behind is twirling his mace and thinking, 
At the right moment I must strike, but strike hard. I'll get one opportunity and no more. We arrive at the top of page 19. Even as Sir Guy sends his victory, the disguised spectre lifts his war mace and... Yeah, with a whack, he brings it down the back of Sir Guy. And as does this, the soldier possessed by the spectre's thinking, Since Sir Guy infused the weapons of his followers with megacyclic energy, as witness what those arrows did, this enchanted battle mace should stun him into helplessness. Fortunately, he made the weapons safe for his followers to handle. The next panel shows the spectral form of the spectre emerging from the soldier and he's drawing the spectral force of Captain Skull out of Sir Guy. It's obviously a kind of bit of simultaneous action with the first panel because the mace is still in full swing. As the spectre hovers above, he's thinking, Having touched that megacyclic energy in its weakened state, I can now grasp the energy spirit of Captain Skull without harm. Yank it out of Sir Guy's body. Sure enough, as we've just seen. Gripping the spirit of Captain Skull, the spectre darts into the vortex, which is flattened into the shape of a massive wheel. Yep, you see the spinning orange and yellow circles. Spectre's leading the, the spirit of Captain Skull towards it. Spectre's thinking, Though I'm able to touch him in his weakened state, the megacyclic energy in him will soon increase again, become too strong for me to cope with, so I must quickly thrust him into his own time period. Even as the Astral Avenger and his quarry are caught up in the exorable bands of time... Captain Skull pulls away from the Spectre, and the Spectre says, He's already recovering, glowing with power. Captain Skull replies, Aye, Swab, and I'll escape ye forever by going back even further into the past. Gee whiz. Okay, so the caption for the final panel of page 19 now says, through the temporal corridor flashes the psyche of Captain Skull until... Yep. And we see now that the Spectre and Captain Skull are emerging again from the Vortex, which is above, you know, essentially a Roman gladiatorial coliseum. You can see one gladiator whirling a net with a big helmet and a mask and a trident. There's another one with a shield and a sword. As Captain Skull emerges, he's thinking... The wicked Emperor Commodus, who fought as a gladiator in the Colosseum of Rome, also was my ancestor. I shall enter his body. And the spectre follows him, thinking, Once again, I must find a way to drive him out of an ancestral tyrant. Top of page 20 now. As Commodus stabs forward with a deadly thrust, and the Retarius hurls his nets. There's a footnote there at the word Retarius. A gladiator who fought with nets and trident. Okay, so Commodus is the guy with the shield and the sword. And we can see, obviously, that's who Captain Skull has taken possession of because he suddenly developed a big moustache. <laughs> so he's swinging his sword towards the Retarius, and as he does this, he says, As Emperor, I control the lives and deaths of all my people. Die, greatest of all net and trident warriors. The spectre is stretching out his right arm, which has grown to massive size, and it's grabbing the net being thrown by the Retarius, drops it over Captain Skull. And as he does this, the spectre thinks, I need not touch Commodus to do what must be done. Then the caption for the next panel says, From the sky above the city of Rome, the discarnate detective pulls down a lightning bolt. Yeah, see what you see. Spectre brings down a lightning bolt, which is charging the net that's containing Commodus stroke Captain Skull. And as he's doing this, the spectre is thinking, The electricity will shock Commodus, force out the spirit of Captain Skull, made weak enough for me to hold on to it. We see the spectre grabbing Captain Skull by the, the scruff of the robe that he's wearing. I love that he's still got a little bow in his pleated <laughs> pigtail. He mm. looks furious here. Yeah. It must be said, the spinning circles of the time vortex have appeared behind him. Spectre starts pulling a captain in, the Spectre saying, Here we go again, Captain Skull. 
back to your own time and age. Never! I'll flee into one body and then another until I have conquered. So, we arrive at the final panel of page 20, and it is a caption that says, Instantly, for time is of no duration within the wheel of time, the spirit of the evil pirate takes refuge in the body of Paris, Prince of Troy, as he is abducting Helen. Wow! He got about a bit, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Blimey, Captain Skull. So yeah, we see we're at another beach. It's a very beautiful, moody sunset sky, clouds billowing around. We can see the, the old-style Greek ship in the water. Paris has Helen over his shoulder, and he's legging it, presumably towards the boat. And as he does this, he's saying, You shall not beat me now, Spectre! Again, we see the Spectre's face looming through the clouds, and he's thinking, No, not yet. I must buy my time until... And with a tiny caption that says, continued in second page following, we arrive at the top of page 21. And while the ghostly guardian returns into the time wheel... So presumably the entire Trojan War <laughs> has just taken place. I think so. Between panels, which mm. is quite amusing. On that um, page turn. Yeah. So this panel shows what's well, clearly Captain Skull in the body of Paris, because we can tell by the moustache, wearing the, the old school Greco armour, standing over a body. And Captain Skull is proclaiming to the sky... I have slain the Greek hero Achilles. Alone I shall make Troy greatest of all cities. Trojan men shall conquer and rule the world. Yep, so that's Achilles lying dead. Good grief. Doesn't actually show us his heel, unfortunately. That would have been quite amusing if he'd just been withdrawing the sword. Anyway, so the caption for panel 2 of page 21 says... Then out of the time wheel steps the finger of the spectre. Deep into the ground it plunges as... Yes, entering stage right, the spectre's hand with index finger extended, stabbing into the ground in his little sss, and there's a cloud of steam or gas coming up because Captain Skull in the body of Paris is grabbing his throat saying, I grow faint from some strange poison in the air. And the spectre's thought bubble gives us, Neither Paris nor Captain Skull knows anything of natural gas. It is numbing Paris long enough for the arrow from the ball of Philosities to overcome him, as history has recorded. And sure enough, we see a little arrow also speeding in, not very clearly from stage right, ready to arrive in the back of Paris. Okay, the caption then for the next panel. Dragged back into the time vortex, Captain Skull Spirit summons up the very motes of time, hurls them at the Astral Avenger. Yes, that's another helpful CBC caption. We see Captain Skull gesturing. You know, with the pink and yellow and orange circles behind him, gesturing in little sparkly blue dots, very similar to what we saw in the Astro Dimension. Mm -hmm. He's hurling them at the Spectre, and as he does this, he says, For me to exist, I must end your existence, Spectre. The Spectre recoils, thinking, Those motes filled with power beyond all imagining could rend and rip my spectral being into nothingness. And we're now in the final panel of page 21, and Captain Skull declares, Ha ha! I have summoned up cosmic winds to add to the fury of the motes. As the mouth shake you apart, the winds will blow you in all directions, scattering you hither and yon. And sure enough, we see the spectre being cast away on the breeze. A little blue moat still floating about, and spectre declares, That's no idle boast! Amy, top of page 22 now. As the terrible cosmic tides wash through him, the ghostly guardian summons up all the eldritch powers that reside within his body, Upward he stretches until the solar system is but a speck below him. Yes, another panel that takes the full length of the page as the spectre stretches up. He's thinking, to save myself, I must fight fire with fire. 
Millions, billions of light years into space reaches the Astral Avenger until he touches the heart of a quasar. Touches the heart of a quasar, that's almost poetic. Yep, see the spectre, looking slightly loose and formed, and his right hand is stretching up towards a big glowing ball of energy, which must be the quasar, and the spectre is thinking. Here, between the galaxies, lie the quasars, source of radio wave energy, megacyclic power. I shall bathe in that power, which if not directed by a malignant mind, cannot harm me. Caption for the next panel. In the wink of an eyelid, the colossal form of the discarnate detective retracts, returns to normal, and... Yep, we see the spectre reforming, and he's appearing before Captain Skull, and it looks like they're surrounded by swirling stuff, which they obviously seem to be surrounded by from the not in the, the time vortex. Spectre's rubbing his hands together gleefully, almost and saying, Now that I'm filled with megacyclic energy, I can touch you. And will I ever touch you, Captain Skull? And in the final panel of page 22, with a zock! The spectre punches Captain Skull, sending him flying back into the time vortex. As he does, the spectre thinks, Hit him with the precise punch power to send him into his original body. And so we arrive at the top of page 23. Next instant. So we can see the galleon or the big boat moored out in the water. We can see a couple of sailors lowering the treasure chest into a hole. We can see a spade dug into the sand because they just dug the hole. We can see Captain Skull in his full pirate regalia standing watching them and the spirit of Captain Skull is hurling towards him. The spectre observes this, thinking, At last! He's trapped in his own body, deprived of his megacyclic powers, where he'll live out his destined lifespan as a pirate. Then, for the final time, the ghostly guardian plunges into the time vortex. Yep. See the spectre in the time vortex, and he's thinking what we're seeing. When the spirit of Captain Skull abandoned Joseph Clanton, the ambassador's body returned to its own form. And because of that energy spirit within him, his body was healed of its wound. And we see the spectre bearing the body of Ambassador Clanton through the vortex. So, come to the final panel of the story, and the concluding caption says... Some days later, in Jim Corrigan's apartment in Gateway City... Yeah, Jim's relaxing. Cup of coffee in his hand. Got the television in front of him. We can see what looks like Ambassador Clanton on a little balcony, waving a piece of paper. Very Neville Chamberlain. Jim relaxes and says... In his previous incarnations, Joseph Clanton served the forces of evil. And the spectre observes in closing, But today, thanks to fate or providence, he has served as an ambassador of good. The The end. Wow. Gosh. That was exciting. It was an epic, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? I'm exhausted. As you said during it, it is very time tunnel It's also quite early Doctor Who-ish in the way that, you know, it was conceived as a partial educational program history lesson yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it was and also i suppose it was quite doctor who in that and quite like one episode of the time tunnel that we had this sort of chase through time Mm -hmm. jumping about from location to location yep yeah a bit of a whirlwind gee whiz that'd be exciting (laughs) that'd be (laughs) it was certainly i think a little bit more coherent than a couple of the showcase yeah issues yeah from what i remember of them now Mm -hmm. a while since we did them I don't have too much to say. Murphy was informed. The artwork was great. Yeah. It was a nice, exciting, busy story. That, you know, it, it didn't let up for a second, really. Yeah. Know, once, once things kicked off in the hospital, that was it. You know, we were off. I do like how when Corrigan's not unconscious, the Spectre's fighting Captain Skull and, you know, 
he decides to pursue Captain Skull rather than actually attend to his unconscious host body. That's just a point. lying there for quite some time. Yeah, it's, it's, so. yeah, that a park keeper come along and find Corrigan lying unconscious on the ground and the statue removed from its plinth, the plinth tipped over the ground. You know, yeah. what are you up to? <laughs> What's going on here then? You know, I think is that Cor what happened? I think when Corrigan wakes up, he's going to find his wallet and keys are missing and his car's gone. <laughs> he's uh, not wearing his trousers. He doesn't have his gun anymore. <laughs> he's going to have many reports to fill in there. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was quite casual the way that was sort of mm, overlooked, yeah. almost. Yeah. <laughs> As you said, the artwork is incredible. Murphy Anderson is just firing all cylinders here. Mm -hmm. No full moons, though. I was a bit disappointed. Well, it was I suppose he, Murphy he, was, full moon. he was getting to draw the circles for the, the true, time vortex, true. wasn't he? So maybe that was scratching that particular itch. The time vortex as well kind of reminded me a bit of a 60s psychedelic version of, of the portals in the time bandits. The way they've just kind of like open, boom, sure. and you come straight through. Yeah. And, and it's, it kind of reminded me of that, which is, yeah. again, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really impressed by the Spectre's just casual ability just to be able to, you know, travel in time. and Of course, he's a Spectre. Of course, because he can do anything. He does no. anything the, the story dictates he has to do. It was so rapid fire, wasn't it? The, mm -hmm. You know, once it got going, you know, the, that third act, we're at the Plains of Troy. Yeah. We're at, obviously, England, the Middle Ages or whatever. We're back in, in ancient Rome and the, and the, the Colosseum and stuff. It kind of made full use of the, I suppose, the concept. I mean, I was, I kind of always expected from the cover of this story that shows the different sort of incarnations. Mm -hmm. You know, we can see now that I haven't read the story. That's Sir Guy on the cover, and that's Paris, and that's the the emperor. Yeah, I kind of always remember always thinking the cover that, you know, do they all team up? Yeah, you know, it's the sinister lives of Captain Skull. So it's a journey through all the different incarnations that this recurring sort of dreadful person has had before <laughs> he reemerges as the as the ambassador who's going to save the world. Yeah. Yeah, I would have quite liked it if there'd been a sequence of them all ganging up on the spectre like we saw on the cover, but I suppose mm -hmm. it just means the cover's a bit more symbolic than usual. Yeah. There's a bit kind of a, a zen sort of feeling of balance to the fact that he has been evil in the past, but now he's the guy that literally saves the world from, yes. from the brink of war. Yeah, I think very much so. Cool. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I like that too. I really don't have too much to add to this one. It was great fun. It rocketed along more consistent and more coherent than mm -hmm. some of the other ones. The fact that it's it's drawn and written by the same people that did the showcase issues. I mean, did they do this one at the same time that it sat on the shelf yeah. for a long time? Is it perhaps a fourth showcase issue that yeah, they were planning on doing? Or? And then they thought, no, we'll give him his own book. Let's keep this on the shelf until we've got the rest of the issues drawn mm -hmm. and ready. It could have been. But let's face it, right. So the Spectre now has his own book. Yes. And it runs for it runs for a wee while. Mm -hmm. It doesn't run forever. It's a fairly short run, but mm. as far as you know, the sixties go, it's it's pretty good. Aye, yeah. But the problem with the Spectre is he is so powerful. You have yes. to find a way in every single story to weaken him. Yes. And that is kind of a bit of an annoying trope that it kind of falls into. We yeah. had it this with the with the energies and, you know, he couldn't touch Captain Skull mm -hmm. at all. That was kind of interesting. But to come up with something like that for every single story yeah. gets really repetitive. I mean, yeah. We've had... We've had that as well already in the, some of the showcase stories. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. already it's kind of repeating ideas. Because this one kind of reminded me a bit of Ace Chance, who would go in and possess bodies. Of course, of course because you're right. That, that, is very, yeah. that is very similar. Mm -hmm. It's not quite as bad as the others, but it finishes with the spectre going cosmic and yeah. almost flinging planets around again, yeah. mm -hmm. which we've already kind of seen. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, we should say at this point, we're, we're entering a bit of a fallow patch as far as representation for the Justice Society, the Spectre yeah. kind of carries the can mm -hmm. for the next little while. We don't see Jay Garrick in the Flash for a while. Yeah. Um, there's a, there are other Green Lantern and Atom team-ups coming, but they're, mm -hmm. they're pretty much the last ones of this so, series. Yeah. You know, and we're a little while off the 1968 JLA-JSA team-up, so the Spectre is carrying the can for Earth 2 and the, and the legacy of the Justice Society at this point. That's worth pointing out too. I mean, it's kind of weird. But, I mean, we'll see it. We've got plenty of other stories we're going to cover in the meantime. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting that after very much a boom period for a year or two, mm -hmm. we are entering this 
space yeah. where they're not really around very much. And I sort mm. of wonder what, what could have led to that. And as you know, we speculated in the past, it's, it's fascinating to see that Spectre was the guy that got his own book and not Doctor Fate and not Black Canary yeah. and not Starman. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah, you do make a really good point there about the limits to the type of story they can tell. Mm-hmm. And obviously the comic evolves and we'll cover that as we go along. You know, yeah. they, they do try and mix it up slightly as they, as they get much further in. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the Doug Munch Spectre series from the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And in that, it literally kicks off with him being really depowered and his powers are pretty much defined straight away but it's right. a, a lot less than what he can normally do uh-huh. and he's weakened by the fact that he's, you know he's separated from Corrigan he has to like bond with Corrigan to kind of recharge yes it's, it's a really good series but I think it's mostly overshadowed and forgotten about because of the John Ostrander Tom Mandrake series yeah I mean I haven't read I've got a full run of them on sh- set mm. I collected them up over the last year or two I had a few of them but I plugged the last remaining gaps yeah but I read the Ostrander series and that, that's the one that I always that's my touchstone that's my reference mm-hmm. point for him that's what I always think about. That's why I, I keep saying it's so surprising to see the Spectrum Jim presented as two separate entities because yeah. in that series, they are very much one. So maybe I should read the Munch series because oh, that's good. the Ostrander series doesn't completely disregard mm-hmm. the Munch series. It started um, a year or two after the Munch one had finished, but yeah. basically kind of picks up what it left off, but makes it very much its own. Mm-hmm. That series really buys into the whole, you know, Wrath of God sort of yeah. sort of side of it, and, you know, Spirit of Vengeance and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And of course, the Spirit of Vengeance is quite a big part of the, the adventure comics run that we'll get to before yeah. too long. Yeah, I, I do like the Spectre, I have to say. I do like him when he turns up, you know, and I'm pleased that he got his own book. If he hadn't had his own book, we'd have a lot less to talk about for the next few months. There wouldn't even be that little bit of Golden Age OG representation. Yep. Right, we'll skip now to the contemporary reader reaction. So reading the letters pages from issue three of the Spectre, which we'll get to in due course. Looking forward to doing that one. So mm-hmm. um, Reader's Rendezvous is the very exciting Spectre-specific not letters page. So the first letter is from John Long in El Segundo, California, and he basically just talks about how exciting it is that there's a new Spectre series coming, which is yep. good. Yes, but doesn't really differ particularly to the story. It gets a lot of alliteration in, which is a lot of fun if you like that mm. sort of thing. So. so the second letter says, Dear Editor, what an event! The Spectre in his own mag. What a cover! What kind of a story was that? Forgive me for blowing hot and cold, but something was missing from the first edition of the Phantom Fighter's very own mag. I can't put my finger on the specific gripe I have with the issue, but I think I was disappointed with the characterisation. The Spectre's thoughts and dialogue weren't those of the 1940 Wraith. He wasn't trying to instil fear in the evil captain. The sky wasn't stormy and turbulent when the supernatural foes clashed. The Spectre didn't roar with fury when the spirit of Skull continually frustrated his attempts to capture him. If you want to ensure a solid hit, spark up the Spectre! At this point I'd like to take a paragraph breather from my criticism for an unrelated remark. May I suggest a new title for the letter call, something like Spectral or Spectre Speculations. One last sound off, no matter how many requests you receive to do so, do not give a clear definition of the Spectre's powers. Just let him stay the way he is, with the mysterious ability to kill bad guys with a potent gaze. Flood a desert with the wave of his cape, and, with a flick of his hand, make fan letters stop short. <laughs> and that's from Lauren Lieberthal from New York, New York. Editorial response is basically just a list of other suggestions they've had for the name of the letter column, including the Spectre's Haunt, the Mystic Realm, Spectrographs, etc. Spectrum of comments, I quite like. So the next letter then says, Dear Editor, the Spectre is in his own magazine, and they said it couldn't be done. You know who they are, those famous DC critics at large. How well their words resounded in my memory. 
You can't come up with a spectacular every issue, or how long do you think you can keep it up? No one, it seemed, judging from your letters pages, wanted any part of the spectre for one of history's most ridiculous reasons. He is too good to be published. One would imagine that your first issue will surprise, maybe even embarrass them. The spectre in his own magazine. Remember the scribbling throughout your comics in 65? The spectre is coming? I well recall my casual comment on the subject. What the heck is a spectre anyway? But does DC give us an answer? Nope. They just keep on telling us for months and months and months that the spectre is coming. Then they answered, and what an answer it was. A 24-page knockout, the war that shook the universe. That in turn was followed by two other winners, Beyond the Sinister Barrier and The Ghost of Ace Chance. DC had done it again. And now the spectre is in his own magazine. That bit's in capitals for emphasis in case you haven't gathered. Nice little recap of the showcase story titles for us there. Very handy. The time for reminiscing is over, but my comments on the first issue are as follows. Murphy Anderson was great. He always has been and probably always will be. His time and space sequences leave one desiring for more. Only his covers surpass them. In regard to Gardner Fox, his fantasy background makes him the perfect, in fact, the only man to write the spectre, basically. The sinister lies of Captain Skull was a good illustration of the first sentence of the paragraph. What particularly impressed me was Skull's colourful language. It showed a tremendous amount of work on the part of the author. And it gave Peter lots to say. Aye. I are hard, lad. There is just one very urgent note that I feel should be brought to Mr Fox's attention immediately. The spectre's dialogue. It's one thing when the Justice Leaguers make puns, but when the spectre starts saying things like, if it so much as scratches me, I'm a gone ghost, you're going a little too far. I think that the spectre should talk somewhat more like what you'd expect from a spook. And that's from Peter Mancuso, Plainview, New York. And the editorial response is... So, how does a spook speak, specifically? <laughs> awesome. That's an interesting point. I kind of tripped over doing that line, I'm a gone ghost when we're doing it. It's, it's a fair assessment that he's, mm-hmm. he doesn't really come across as too... Hip dialogue Out there, of, you know. Yeah. I'm still not as bad as Hal Jordan's proclamation a few weeks ago of being turned into a camp-style Green Lantern, <laughs> which still keeps me awake at night. But anyway, so the next letter. Dear Editor, The Spectre now has his own mag. What will this mean in the future? Only time will tell. Personally, I hope we can look forward to more thrillers like The Sinister Lives of Captain Skull and The Ghost of Ace Chance. These stories took us into a mystical realm almost beyond human ken. The world of the Spectre extends to the ends of the universe, from the beginning to the end of time. Wherever the forces of good clash with those of evil, that is the world of the Spectre. Where there is death or life, there too is the Spectre. The Spectre is omnipotent, ubiquitous. He is all the good in the universe incarnate. He is unbeatable by mortal means. But in this eerie world, there also lurks an ominous array of foes with powers the equal of worlds of evil, and they stand the best chance of defeating the Astral Avenger. Good grief if you think we intend to stand for this ish after ish after ish for more than a year, you've got another thing coming. Sure, I enjoy it, but I can see now that the novelty is slowly wearing off. Don't name the Spectre's weakness, just create powers that surpass his. So far, he hasn't really had to strain himself, yet he has come out triumphant every time. And any reader can tell you that this kind of story over any period of time can become the most boring reading on the newsstands. And if you think that sentence was long, you ought to see what I can do when I try hard. (laughs) What does the realm of the Spectre hold for the future? What will menace the ghostly guardian in the future? Hang on baby, the best is yet to come. And that's from Billy Neville, Raleigh, North Carolina. 
Very positive. No editorial response to that one. But, no. um, he's obviously, Billy's obviously on board. But he does bring up the points we were talking about there, is how to sustain interest yeah. in the story. I mean, even the, the last one, the letter before that, sort mm. of said the same, that people kind of comment and that they wouldn't be able to keep it up and what they're going to be able to do. Yeah. Especially at this sort of time, because we've already talked about the Ostrander and the, the Monk series, they were a bit more in, a bit more involved, a bit more literate, a bit more mature in the sort of, yeah. you know, at this mm-hmm. point, I suppose, when the stories are still fairly simplistic it must be yeah very hard to stop them being re- repetitive i suppose i mean yeah i mean the thing is this is under the comics code and you've got this character who literally is a dead person yes uh, who's resurrected by possibly god certainly a mysterious voice yeah. with incredible powers to basically wreak vengeance on the evildoers in the world and yes yeah. it's hard to do stuff like that with the comics code yeah. stamp on it mm-hmm. and tell stories to their fullest which is why probably we've had them reaching out and being cosmic and just mm-hmm. punching people around planets in the last yeah. couple of stories we've had them rather than some of the more horrific stuff that you know that we'll see in the 70s yeah. when, once the, the code has been relaxed that's a really good point i mean the type of stories that by definition they should be doing with this character yeah. they can't really at this point so yep yeah, the next letters page then because there's two in this one readers rendezvous extra the next letter goes like this dear editor statement Spectre is absolutely the best superhero I've run across in any comic magazine for two reasons. One, Spectre's world is different from any other heroes, what with astral dimensions and transmigration and all. Two, in every issue, Spectre exhibits new powers, whereas you always know what all the powers of the other superheroes are. I once thought that too many evil spirits would be a bad thing for Spectre, but I've changed my mind. Asmodus, Shathan, Ace Chance and Skull have all been evil spirits, but we're all different. Yeah, but they were all evil spirits. And, yeah. you know, Shathan did a bit of possession as well, did he not? Mm-hmm. Whether Spectre should have recurring foes is hard to say. The stories involve a great deal of symbolism, and they might be better if Spectre's foes remained eternally beaten as a result. Spectre's stories should all be book length, since this way you can better develop the plots with good situations and villains, and get rid of the fillers with the mediocre ones. Open brackets, which, with my luck, have so many fans you won't follow my suggestion. Close brackets. I might as well enter the battle royal in the letter call. I don't see why the Spectre stories are bad because they use the theme of good versus evil. Isn't that the plot of every superhero story? One reader said that Spectre should be feared even by those who are not criminals and that he should be more of a death angel whose stare can kill. Well, this looking into Spectre's eyes and dying bit can be used once in a while and very effectively, but the idea nowadays is to rehabilitate criminals, not to bump them all off. I think that it might be interesting. If you did have people show a slight fear... Or should I say, a tremendous respect for the respecter? Open brackets. I think that was a pun, and that was from Peter Saunderson Jr. of Milton, Massachusetts. Yeah, we've had letters from him recently, and yep. I still don't know if that's the future comic writer, Peter Saunderson. But interesting. We'll see. So the next couple of letters are one from a guy called John Workman Jr. from Aberdeen, Washington. He's talking about basically having done some rereading of old Spectre stories. Peter's going to read us the final letter now. Dear editor. Here are some suggestions as to what I would like to see in future issues of The Spectre. 1. Nothing but strictly supernatural menaces. 2. More panels with close-ups of The Spectre showing his skull eyes. Also, Speck should never smile. Laugh at his opponents, perhaps, but never smile. 3. Some cosmic battles in which The Spectre reforms the universe to suit his own needs. <laughs> wow! Okay. 4. More fright on the part of everyone at The Spectre. Even though he is no longer distrusted by the general public, still, they should feel fear at his appearance. After all, wouldn't you? 5. The development of something between Mona Marcy and Jim Corrigan. Yes, we remember Mona from um, one of the showcase issues, don't we? Yep. yep. 
Uh, six fewer panels, if any, in which the spectre <laughs> elongates parts of his body disproportionately. <laughs> Seven, spectre's use of more of his powers. Eight, more references to a higher power, as the one wherein spectre mentions providence. Belief in God should be encouraged whenever possible. In today's world, it is needed. Hmm. Nine, occasionally guest appearances by other members of the Justice Society of America. And that's from John Pierce, Columbus, Ohio. Interesting points there from John. Yes, many of which have were taken on board in the subsequent series. It yeah. must be said, you know, not and quite this series. Some yeah, of them. the Mona Marcy, Jim Corrigan thing echoes, I suppose, Amy from the Ostrander series, maybe, perhaps. Mm. But you know, it's um, he's making a lot of points there about the, you know, no more of the the big long stretchy hands. Yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Which I quite like. I quite like yeah. them too. Occasional guest appearances by other members of the Justice Society. Well, stay tuned. Stay tuned for issue three, folks. That's all I'm saying. I'm wondering if that letter from John Workman's the future comic letterer, John Workman. It possibly know. is. I've no idea how old he is, but he's obviously been in the business for a very, very long time. Yeah, true. I remember him. He was the first letterer that I remember being able to actually register in his individual style. Because oh, I remember okay. him. I remember his work on Thor in yep. the 80s, and it had that yeah. real sort of revolutionary, really epic sort of feel to it. Yeah, big fan of John Workman, it must be said, if it's the same person. Yeah, we are. Even if it's not, it's worth seeing. It is. So if you know, if that's uh, John Workman, the Future <laughs> Comics Letter, then please get in touch with us and let us know. Or if John, if you're listening, please get in touch. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because there'll be lots of bonus material going up on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for this very episode. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast, and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. And also, you can find this and all of our other episodes on our website. And that's the earth2podcast.com. And of course, as ever, it's the number two for all of our social media and website. Absolutely. So that's the end of this spectacular debut of this <laughs> new series. Yep. And we'll be covering all the issues as we go along. So stay with us for that. But on that note, I've been Peter. And I've been David. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on The, the Earth 2 Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. I have slain the Greek hero Achilles. Alone I shall make Troy greatest of all cities. <laughs> Trojan men shall conquer and rule the world. I wonder if that needs to be a bit more <laughs> a bit more serious and a bit more Shakespearean. Because <laughs> it's quite a it's quite a proclamation. <laughs> Okay, I'll try again. Mm. Everyone who lived and fought around the, the Trojan War spoke like a member of the Wurzels. I am a silent drinker.